Welcome back to the All Personal Podcast, where we turn the good old saying, nothing personal, just business, upside down, and prove how, in fact, it's all personal and nothing is just business. Because it's how we use our personal skills every day that makes us happy, both at home or at work. And here we go to prove that learning is not an event, but a habit. So my next guest is perfect for this talk, and let me tell you why. Carolyn Keel is based in New Jersey, where she designs and delivers learning and development programs. She has helped people at several large companies develop their talents, navigate change, and achieve their business goals. In 2018, Carolyn started a podcast called Beyond Six Seconds. It features the extraordinary stories of everyday people who overcome challenges and make a positive impact on the world. You can find the podcast at beyondsixseconds.com and on iTunes. So welcome, Carolyn, and I'm so happy to have you here as a guest today. Thank you so much, I'm happy to be here today. Because I just presented you briefly, can you tell us a little bit about how your journey has been so far? Absolutely. So for me, I know a lot of people that I talk to seem to know from a young age what kind of work they like to do, what they like to be, when they grew up. I don't know that I had necessarily something uh, particularly strong in mind from an early age, um, but as I went through my high school years, um, I started to develop an interest in counseling, but uh, not necessarily clinical counseling or um, you know being a, a psychiatrist or that type, but I was intrigued by a lot of the guidance counselors that I worked with, and I thought, oh, isn't that interesting? Um, there are jobs available to help people really think about their futures. In this case, what kind of school they might want to go to. So I went off to college and majored in psychology. It was the first time I had ever studied that topic. Um, and in my senior year, I had the opportunity to work in my college's career development center. It was my student job. So about seven or eight hours a week, I spent time working in the career center either uh, having students coming in who were looking for career opportunities. I helped run some programs to bring employment opportunities to the students so that they could apply for them. And I really enjoyed that work. And I thought for sure I was going to be in some sort of counseling and something related to career counseling or something like that. So I graduated from college and was kind of looking for the next step. And a lot of the advice I had gotten at that time when I told people I wanted to be a career counselor is that, well, you haven't really had any real job experience. Yet, so maybe, Carolyn, you should go out and get some experience and then come back and decide if that's really what you want to do. I said, well, I guess point taken, I suppose I will do that. So I started working. I um, wound up, I had a series of, of short jobs right after school. And then I wound up landing at a large financial services company where I stayed for 13 years, which is most definitely the bulk of my career. And, you know, I joined as an administrative assistant. I didn't really know anything about the industry, didn't quite know what I wanted to do there long term, but I had the opportunity to grow. 
and um, you know, go through a, a variety of different departments, uh, got promoted into different positions. And all of the roles that I had um, had something to do with helping people manage through change. So it was either an, uh, an organizational change, like we're starting to implement new product development standards, or we're building a new risk management department, or we're doing uh, governance and standards around information technology for the company. So things that kind of didn't seem related immediately, I found the common thread that it really was you know, one about the changes in the new processes, but at the same time, helping people really understand and work through those changes. And I soon learned that sometimes that's the hardest part, you know, building a new process and writing communication about it is, is, is one thing, but just encouraging people to kind of start to think a different way and just get used to, to change, which, you know, as I'm sure you will know, is, is uh, not always, not everything's perfect right at the outset. So there's quite a lot of growing pains and any kind of change. So, um, so I, I still loved that that way of helping people through change. And right. I got an opportunity to do a lot of training and communications as part of those change initiatives. So after many years, I really decided that I wanted to be a learning and development professional. I loved running trainings. I liked facilitating and teaching. I liked designing um, the, the learning that people were um, mm-hmm. going to learn about. Um, and I looked for probably about two years within my company to try to find a role that really focused on that. Because as I was discovering what my skills were and what my interests were in learning and development, my current role that I was in was was changing into something that I just wasn't uh, it wasn't fulfilled with. It, I, I knew that that was not the direction that I wanted to take, that where I saw my career going. So um, unfortunately, after two years, uh, I did not find an opportunity there. I kind of got to a crossroads where um, the job that I was currently in was changing yet again, moving further and further away from what I wanted. It was being restructured. So I did wind up leaving and was lucky enough to find a short contract position uh, with a large company that was focused exclusively on corporate training. So that was kind of the start of my uh, learning and development journey. Um, Oh, I should also mention right before I left the large financial services company, part of the changes I was trying to make in my career was that I did go back to graduate school part time. Mm -hmm. I had just started a master's degree program in industrial organizational psychology, which aligns quite well with uh, learning and training and talent development. And I continued that program. It took me about two and a half years to graduate with my master's degree. But it was that program having to make that decision to leave the place where I built my career for 13 years and had got steadily promoted and risen up in the ranks and really just start something entirely new. But I knew that's the direction that I wanted to go in. So, you know, since then, I've, I've worked in training. I yeah. After the contract job, I worked at another large company um, doing talent development or talent management and working on um, improving corporate culture as well. So that was a a fascinating and and uh, interesting uh, project to work across um, a large global company and help people really um, you know change the culture. So it's working with leaders and working with employees um, to really focus on what the the values of the company should be and how they wanted to show up to work every day and do their work. And um, you know, and then from there, and now I'm working at a large um, telecommunications company again, doing uh, corporate training and uh, there's a little mix of, of culture, a little bit of, of leadership development, right. kind of a little mix of everything that I've done up until now, including the change management, which uh, which never goes away. It's uh, definitely just part of our world these days. So, um, 
how people discover their skills and their passions and how they choose to follow them. It's always um, fascinating to discover. So um, how would you then, because you're a learning professional um, and also a podcast host, how yes. would you define skills? Oh, let's see. So it, it seems like something that should be so so easy and basic to define, but if you really think about it, it's a, a bit challenging. But I guess if I had to define skills, I think of them as either you know, actions or behaviors for which you've established some level of expertise. So in other words, you know, like, you know, things that you're good at. Mm -hmm. So it, it's just, it doesn't have to be something that comes easily. It doesn't have to be something that you like doing or love doing. It's, uh, I, I kind of see it as a reflection of, um, you know, you've got some level of, of expertise and, um, was, you know, that's how I would define what a skill is. Mm -hmm. And do you, um, have you observed any pattern in how people look at their skills and their development in, in mm -hmm. your career? Because you've worked with several industries, different kinds of people, learning styles, working styles. Let's see, in terms of skills and how people look at what their, you know, what their, their skill development is, um, it's, it's interesting. Some of the things I see, there are, you know, some people who look at skills as, you know, sort of say things that you're born with or things that you develop early in life and then can continue to improve them but you'll always have mm -hmm. skills you know things that you've got that expertise with and then you know you've got your weaknesses which you know may or may not be skills you haven't uh, discovered yet or they may legitimately just be things that may never come easily to you um so some people kind of have that fixed mindset in terms of well i'm not good at this so you know either i won't try or i've tried this before you know and, and, and you tried doing things this way or i've tried doing things this way before and it just definitely doesn't work for me it will never work for me And then other people kind of keep, I guess what you call a, a learning mindset or a growth mindset where you say, you know, I, you know, I may not be good at this now, but I understand that uh, it's something that I can get better at. I may never be an expert level person at this skill, but I can certainly improve or try to improve. And I think that that's important, you know, not just because it, it actually, I think, is just a more accurate representation of how skills develop. You know, we... We uh, we never really stop learning. We never stop uh, getting better as long as we're always looking for for new things. But just the rate of change and how quickly change moves, especially in the last few years, um, businesses are moving quickly. Um, jobs are changing quickly. People are spending less yeah. time in jobs, and you know it's kind of expected they'll move roles. You know if you're you know if you're good at job and high potential you know every two to five years maybe in a new role you might even be in a new company so you have to be open to you know developing skills and looking out and seeing well what skills do i still need to develop in order to get to the next position or to get you know when i want to be somewhere 10 years from now what do i need to learn so that's kind of what i've observed and do you think um people have this kind of mindset of observing themselves and then actually being aware of what skills they have where they are experts and where they could still work and improve some of the some of their other skills do they do they have this kind of awareness um i i think some people do it's hard though it's, it's difficult to be aware and really see yourself as others see you there's you know you have your own yeah. 
idea of how you see yourself and there's how other people see you. Even, you know, you mix in how you want to be seen, which could be different from, from both of those. So yeah. I think the best the best way to really develop your skills in some way is to um, be open to feedback and actually seek out coaching and feedback from um, from people that you are in your life that you work closely with, um, you know, even your friends. Just it kind of depends on, um, you know, what types of uh, what kinds of skills in what settings that you want to develop. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the scariest yeah. things that I did at a previous job was um, try to take pace, uh, take part in part of a 360 assessment, which, um, you know, I was new to the job and I, I took it on myself to do because I was curious to see how I was um, coming off or what, what impression my closest co-workers and, and partners had of me because I was new. I, I really wasn't sure. I, I had an idea of what I thought, but I really wanted to know. So I wound up surveying them and they, you know, fortunately were very um, honest about my strengths and where they thought I could improve. And some of the surprises is that people will point out strengths that either you don't realize that you have or just things you take for granted as this is not ill or a strength. So can everybody do this? It's like, no, not everybody can do some of the things that you can do. And it need, you need that outside perspective to help you put that, you know, put that all together. That's such a good point that you made here because um, sometimes or maybe most of the times what we tend to do is take our strengths for granted and think that everybody else can do what we're doing and then when we look when we look at our weaknesses we think that it's only us that cannot do this or we're part of a smaller group of people that cannot do this and there's this large group of most people who can who can do it and that's why probably sometimes we think of our weaknesses more than we think about our strengths or maybe they they weigh more in our in our mind than our strengths i wanted to ask you um if there is a different profile that you found in people that you're interviewing in your podcast and um, if the if their profile is different from people who you train or who you've trained, because I know that for your podcast, you usually interview people who are entrepreneurial one way or another. And is there a different type of people in your podcast from your trainings? Oh, that's a really interesting question. Let me think about that. I think for my podcast, I've, you know, as you said, focused more on entrepreneurs or at a basic level, people who have started something new, whether that's volunteering or a new business or started learning a new technology. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it's significantly different from the people that I train because it's a, such a, a, a wide diversity in terms of the, the people that I work with and train. And I probably see a different side of them um, because mm-hmm. I don't often opportunity to to interview them one-on-one and really find out about you know their lives outside of either the immediate test that we're working on or the the topic that we're training on sometimes um the people that i interview i notice are you know i believe that they have that learning mindset um you know you need to be open to taking risks Mm -hmm. and um seeking out and accepting feedback if you're starting something new you have to have that motivation to 
you know, if you see a problem that in society or, or just really any big or small problem to have that mindset to say, well, I think that I can create a solution to that and I'm going to go out and build something. I'm going to um, advertise it, uh, network. Um, so I, I definitely see that um, profile mm-hmm. recurring. And on my podcast, I do like to ask people how they've used their skills that they've built up from you know previous years or jobs and how they use it now. And um, a lot of it, you know, there's a lot of transferable skills um, in, in some cases. Sometimes it's subject matter based. So I interviewed someone who was, um, well, still is a lawyer. She has a law background, but she was sort of a, um, a corporate lawyer originally and um, didn't like it. And um, starting with um, the technology around blockchain, which I didn't realize until speaking to her, but is very heavy on the regulatory side. And she loves that. I mean, for, for me, it was very interesting to hear someone speak so excitedly about uh, working on regulations for, for legal things, but that's great. That's her background. She's passionate and she loves it and she's doing really, really well with it. So um, I, it's uh, interesting for me to see how people kind of use their skills from the past and, and, and bring them forward and, and change them into something new. Yeah, because that's what brought you to actually starting the podcast, right? Right. That's what you want to do. Can you tell us a little bit more about about your podcast? And in the first place, I'm so curious about the title because it's called Beyond Six Seconds. Mm-hmm. Why Beyond Six Seconds? So my podcast, originally, I, you know, I had, had been um, toying with the idea of, of doing a podcast and trying to think of a, a good topic that would be interesting where I could talk to people and, and learn about them. And one thing I noticed was that I was connected to a, a lot of people on LinkedIn and other social media and was finding out through, you know, individual chats with them or just some of their posts that they, you know, were were working on extraordinary things, um, you know, whether it's starting a new business. Um, but as opposed to all the other podcasts on business and entrepreneurship that I, I tended to hear about in the market, it was you know, all of those podcasts were about, you know, I struggled and then I got my big break and now I'm successful and here's all the advice that everybody should take because I made it. And that's it. So, and I would see, you know, these people who were just sort of starting out and really struggling and trying to refine their ideas. And sometimes in a lot of cases, some of them were looking for full-time employment and some of their, uh, some of them started new businesses because they were struggling with their own employment or they wanted to have, um, you know, more of a legacy and more consistent income. So it was interesting to see how that was starting out. And mm-hmm. I thought, you know, there are some really amazing stories behind this that just aren't getting heard. And um, I wanted to help bring bring their voices forward and help them, you know, really showcase and, and tell their amazing stories. And a lot of times people are, are doing all these amazing things and overcoming incredible challenges, um, whether it's, you know, disability or sickness or um you know, incredible uh, amounts of loss or even, you know, something as, as basic as a, a job loss or a major career mm-hmm. crisis. Um, and it's incredible to see people, you know, how they they aren't shut down by the challenges. In some ways, they're propelled forward. Um, you know, certainly it's, it's still difficult, but they find the strength and the courage and uh, the motivation to, to move on. And everyone I talk to, I'm just incredibly inspired by uh, their stories and, um, you know, just the, the motivation that they had and the ideas that they're bringing forward. And I wanted to try to give them a platform to talk about, you know, essentially how amazing they are. So um, 
so it's been it's been great for me to learn more about their stories just on a, a personal level and I'm hoping that the the podcast will help them as well and you also asked me about the title yes it's uh called beyond six seconds I got that name because mainly there's a there's a study I think it was done with uh, recruiters you know a couple years ago that found that recruiters only look at your resume for about six seconds before they make a judgment about you and decide, yeah, this is a keeper, this is this one's going in the trash. Um, I don't know how legitimate that study is or how accurate that stat is, but it, it gets repeated a lot, particularly on LinkedIn when you're talking about people looking for jobs and talking with recruiters. So I was seeing it a lot at that time. And for me, it's like, well, I want to go beyond those six seconds because how could you possibly hear and understand someone's story or even just their their skills and what they bring to the table and what they could really do for your organization or for society or the world at large in, in just six seconds. Mm. Um, so combined with that, plus, you know, our, our world is just moving so quickly. So there's like, you know, six second advertising that comes on the internet that's just trying, everything just trying to get your attention so quickly. I wanted to uh, just give a, a space and say, you know, not everything has to be consumed and judged in a matter of just these six seconds. I wanted to provide a more of a platform for storytelling. So that's where the name came from. Right. So basically going past those first impressions and try to build something longer lasting, let's say. That's right. I'm really fascinated about your your journey as a learning professional and also giving this possibility to people to actually tell their stories and talk about their passions. And in the end, because it's all about learning and passion and constant awareness about the passions and the learning that's happening every day bit by bit um and i wanted to ask you what would you say are the strong skills that you have like the top 3 skills that you've been using and that have helped you in in your journey so far let's see so for me my top 3 one is, I think, something that I, I've done consistently is that I do overall have a pretty strong attention to the details and the tactics that are required to execute a project. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the work I've done has been, even the training and learning work has been kind of like managing big projects. So understanding who do I need to to pull in from different parts of the department, what information do I need, when do I need things, who who needs to be involved, what deliverables do I need? So organizing and planning that out and paying attention to what kind of communications and, and the way I'm writing and describing things. Um, and just being focused on, you know, when when there's sort of a big out idea out there and we're trying to figure out how to, how to make it happen, um, I'm usually the one who goes in and tries to figure out um, how to execute in a way that will meet the goals of that big strategy or, or that big idea. Mm -hmm. So um, I'd say, I guess I call that attention to detail. Um, the second one, I would say, um, it, related to that is collaboration. So one thing I find in companies is that I feel like there are very few jobs where you can kind of go in in the morning and then just, you know, do your job on your own. You're completely self-sufficient and, you know, you, you have complete control over everything. Everything is very collaborative now. So, and certainly all the roles that I've been in, um, sometimes in my training role, sometimes I'm the only training person. So, you know, clearly I'm not 
the subject expert in, in every topic I need to train. So I need to identify, well, who who do I need to help me and how do I persuade and influence them? You know, they've got, you know, tons of work to do. This is not their full-time job. It's not even their part-time job. I'm really asking for their help and assistance and to carve mm-hmm. out time to, to help. So it's about, you know, kind of how do I collaborate? How do I help communicate what I'm trying to do? How what I'm doing will help them and help the team as well as, you know, help me get my job done as well. So I'd call that collaboration. And then mm-hmm. third one is probably just perseverance. So, you know, I know some people are, you know, kind of, you know, very bold and brash. I'm going to go out and say, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to crush these goals and I'm going to conquer this. And I'm going to do it. And I'm, going to, I'm not that person. I admire those people, but it's just never been me. But, you know, throughout my entire career journey, I've just sort of been, you know, I don't want to say like the, the tortoise that plods along. I do, I'm a little bit faster than the tortoise, but I just kind of, every day just moving forward and you know i i don't give up um you know on my on my large goals my dreams i recognize that things will change based on what i learn my circumstances and there's plenty of things that are not in my control mm-hmm. um but it's just that ability to wake up and you know even some days if i don't really feel like doing anything it's just well i'll just do it a little bit more um you know try to learn something new or, or try to make this phone call or talk to this person or just something to move forward and then realize that eventually I'll get to where I need to be. Um, mm-hmm. So perseverance. It's interesting because I don't hear too many people talking about perseverance as one of their top skills. So there you go. I thought you would want to know that you're one of the few so far. And I also wanted to ask you about the other side of uh, skills. Like if there if there are any skills in particular that you let's say avoid using and if out of these skills there's been one or two maybe that you've taken to another level because you needed them at some point so you had to develop them and use them more and what did that mean to you? Sure. Absolutely. So it's interesting. I I was thinking about that question and I had a bit of insight about myself as I was preparing to to talk about the topic is that I I tend to be very shy. Um, And I read at some point when I was reading about shyness is that, you know, it's different from just being quiet, which I I also am quiet, but shyness is kind of the fear of judgment of other people judging you. Um, which is how it's different from introversion and just being quiet in general. Mm-hmm. It's that judging thing. So in terms of dormant skills, that impacts um, my networking skills. And in some other ways, and, and this came up because I was at a, a conference uh, the other week where one of the topics was about, you know, improvisation, which is kind of a trendy thing in the corporate world to start yeah, learning improv, about change management and learning. And you know, I see networking and improv in, in really related in some ways because improv is just terrifying for me because you have to put your barriers down and just free flow, be connected to people and like anything could happen. And I'm always afraid I'm going to say the wrong thing or I'm going to say something stupid or, you know, I don't get to prepare. And plus networking is just, I'm, I'm, I've, I've found a way that, you know, I'm much better one-on-one with people, but yeah, you know, that whole image of walking into a room where you don't know anyone and just being like terrified. <laughs> it's <still> scary. <laughs> Although and now I talk to other people, even extremely extroverted, friendly people who also hate that scenario. Um, they, you know, I guess they just don't project it as much, but um, I guess it's uncomfortable for everyone. But at the same time, I yeah. still have to network. I can't you know, avoid. So I will, 
you know, I often force myself to go to things, and sometimes I literally have to be like, okay, I'm going to stay for a couple, you know, I have to stay for 10 minutes at least, and then I wind up, you know, once I'm in the room, I'm usually fine, but it's kind of getting started with that that's tough. So mm-hmm. for networking, I think sometimes it's just understanding what your challenges and your strengths are, and in some cases, you can work around them. So, you know, I, I may never be at the, the level where I, you know, can work the room and kind of meet everybody in the room, but I can certainly set a goal to say, well, I'm going to meet five new people and talk to them and learn more about, you know, ask them questions about themselves. And, you know, in some cases that might be better for me. I make, you know, higher quality relationships and contacts than just sort of saying hi to everybody. It's more superficial. Now, of course, if I ever wanted to start my own business, I would probably have to really work on that skill and, and probably have to be more of someone who's puts themselves out there and kind of works the room and, you know, gets better at sales. So I, I haven't leveraged that yet, but sort of uh, where I am right now, um, that's kind of how I try to use those those uh, those skills that I'm uh, not always comfortable using. Yeah, and it's a very interesting difference that you've made between people who are shy and people who are introverts, because oftentimes I hear people saying, oh, I don't like networking because I'm an introvert and I cannot network because I'm an introvert. And so they use it sort of as an excuse to not network. Mm -hmm. And I think especially this labeling between, you know, introverts and extroverts and what they can and cannot do. I'd like to get your opinion on that. So what would be a difference, let's say, in a, in a networking context or in a, this kind of context, what would be a difference between a, what an introvert or an extrovert can or cannot do? Or is there anything, any such thing? Yeah, I, you know, it's, it's hard. I feel like there are sort of, you know, general, I don't want to say stereotypes or typical behaviors, um, you know, if, if you're introverted versus extroverted. So I guess introversion and extroversion, I think of it fundamentally is kind of where you get your energy or, or how you spend and consume your your social energy so extroverts get it more they they feed on you know talking with people and, and um and you know and talking and connecting that mm-hmm. way and you know a lot of excitement and, and noise yeah. you know start I'm not every extrovert like this but it's an extreme example uh, so they might leave a networking you know a that big room full of people they might leave after the end of the night just totally like energized and excited and like you know ready to go often like take a night on the town just like excited um an introvert tends to um that same type of of situation they're spending energy so they're not getting the same level of energy you know it's almost like it's kind of coming out and they're because they're kind of putting that they're building that relationship on a different level and it's just you know a difference in how they use energy so probably at the end of the night an introvert is more likely to be very tired and exhausted and just want to go home you know put their pajamas on and watch TV or read a book or whatever. So that's more of the camp that I'm in. But, you know, it doesn't mean, it, and, you know, in the corporate world, a lot of these kind of personality and behavioral typing is 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 very popular. So whether it's, you know, Myers-Briggs, which is introversion, extroversion, and then other dimensions of how you process information or, um, you know, the, the DISC, which is a totally, like, um, different way that you work styles. Um, but in some cases, people, you know, they're not rigid. People flex all the time. And it also depends on the particular situation you're in. So if I, mm-hmm. as an introvert, were going into a room where I knew a lot of the people already, I don't think I would have as much of, you know, I wouldn't be as exhausted necessarily. It would be easier for me. Or I find that if I'm going into a networking event where 
no one really knows each other and the expectation is that you will go meet other people, then it's easier for me because it's like, oh, well, everyone's in this boat. This is what I'm supposed to do. This is my, you know, kind of like, sometimes I have to give myself a, a little job. It's like, okay, my job is to go talk to five people. It's easier for me than just going in and be like, I don't know what to do. Well, <laughs> so it, it depends. So, in a, but if I'm in a, you know, but in a networking situation where like, Half the people know each other and everyone's kind of like off in their groups and clicks. That's probably the hardest because mm-hmm. I don't like to break into people's like, you know, um, clicks and, and groups that they've already made. That That's hard. So it, dep- it depends on the situation. Some people are different at work and then they go home and they have a, a partner who is, you know, either very similar to them or completely different. And they wind up acting just differently in their personal lives. So, so it, you know, it, I think we're all born or we learn different tendencies and we're comfortable with but that doesn't mean that we can't flex and uh you know really even take on behaviors that are the opposite of our our preferences um depending on the situation it's great that you said that because yeah i do believe that we are quite flexible and actually i think you know if we put ourselves in these kind of situations that maybe we weren't very comfortable with at the beginning but the more work the, the more we practice it the more comfortable we start to feel with it and you know grow those skills that we need to to do that thing it's it's about the action that we do it's not necessarily about the skills that we have or not have or um the the kind of personality that we have i think it it's somewhere in the middle and you know just blaming it on on my style or on the context um i think it doesn't necessarily help so it it was good to hear you saying that yeah we are flexible it definitely depends on the on the context um and on how we think about what we can do and what the next steps should be yeah absolutely that's a great summary I wanted to ask you because we're in in this conversation and about um, the things that maybe we don't necessarily like to do, and um, you mentioned the fear of judgment, and with that goes maybe the fear that I don't know I might make a mistake or I might make you know say something um, that I wasn't supposed to say or maybe not say the things that I really wanted to, so. Looking at mistakes, how do you go about mistakes? How do you treat mistakes? How do you look at them? Oh, gee, for me, I mean, honestly, I kind of consider myself a, a recovering perfectionist. <laughs> <laughs> I like to think I'm better than I used to be. Where you know, you know, I, you know, I was one of the, the people in school who always got like you know amazing grades and was you know good at a lot of things that I tried out then. So, and then you enter the working world and it's a whole different game and you're not. Um, always playing for, you know, for structured grades and have to kind of figure out a lot of things. And the people around you are also figuring mm-hmm. stuff out. So for mistakes, I mean, you know, honestly, they, you know, when I make a mistake, I still get anxious. I still have that kind of gut feeling like, oh, my God, I can't believe I did that. Or it's gonna happen. And then, you know, my mind starts to race. I, you know, if I'm, if I'm lucky and conscious enough to teach myself in that moment, I, you know, I do try to remind myself and, and kind of look at it more objectively and, and step back a bit and say, well, you know, what's the, you know, what, hap- what happened? What's the magnitude? What's, what's the impact? Is this really as earth-shattering as, um, you know, as I, I think it is in the moment? And then, you know, I obviously try to, you know, understand what the, um, you know, what the impact is, what I need to do to 
to fix it if I can fix it or, you know, at least you know, mm-hmm. address what happened depending on um, what the mistake is. And then, you know, I do try to, you know, when, when everything's trying to come down, I do try to look and see what I can, you know, what I can learn from it. Uh, it's You had mentioned before when we were talking about feedback mm-hmm. that we, um, when we were talking about strengths and weaknesses, that sometimes we tend to focus on our, our weaknesses. Um, you know, I think that they're much worse than, our weaknesses are bigger than our than our strengths in a lot of ways. And I think I had read some or heard about some study, psychology yeah. study that said it's, it's almost like you have to hear like eight pieces of positive feedback to counter one negative feedback. The ratio, it might even be bigger than that, but I think our brains are just wired to look for, um, you know, the, the alarm bells going off on the weaknesses. So I, I think it's hard to kind of step back and really um, look through and, and, and help people mistakes but but inevitably you know i also try to remind remind myself is that you know if if i'm not making mistakes i'm probably um not taking enough risks and not being old enough and not trying mm-hmm. enough new things because realistically you're not gonna be good at everything i just try out or even after you practice for a while you still won't be good so um so i guess it's an indication of learning as well yeah exactly and i think there are good mistakes and bad mistakes as well right. yeah <laughs> i mean not you know Maybe not all mistakes are bad. <laughs> yeah, there's an order of magnitude and the impact that it has on others, of course. Yeah. 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 So um, I wanted to ask you, turning it a little bit around, what's one thing, or maybe two things, that you're most proud of today? Um, in some ways, some of the things that I'm proudest of are, I guess, things I was able to achieve that I wouldn't have expected that uh, kind of. You know, either I didn't realize the impact that I was having at the time, um, mm-hmm. or it was just something that I tried new that um, I didn't know if I'd be that good at, that I might be a little better at than I thought. So that's the first thing that I'm proud of um, is that in one of my roles um, in talent management, um, my company went through a series of reorganizations um, that directly impacted me and my team. So. Um, you know, we had our direct manager had left, then her manager left, and they brought people in. And so every time there's a, a change in leadership, there's, you know, uncertainty in the team. And I had a, a team reporting directly to me at the time. Um, so in a lot of ways, I was trying to help them manage through the change. And in some ways, you know, as a, as a leader, sometimes you don't always have that uh, certainty coming down from the company that says, oh, no, everything's going to be okay. Or like, this is definitely what's going to happen now. This is the direction you're just trying to figure it out on your own and and it's how people manage the change um Mm -hmm. you know when there's a lot of anxiety um you know a lot of uncertainty and change you know understandably so i just tried my best to really take care of my team in terms of being honest about what i knew and what i heard um sharing my opinions on what i i thought was going to happen based on what i had seen conversations i had had um sort of likely outcomes um you know trying to help structure and prioritize the work that they were doing so that they knew it was still important. Um, and I had other colleagues who weren't reporting to me, but who I partnered closely with, who, um, you know, I was also trying to lead and help um, kind of stay the course, say, this is still our strategy. These are the things we're doing. This, these are the things that might change. Um, try to help them all understand how it impacted them. So the end of the story is that I, this was very difficult for me. This was not, I was a new leader. I didn't see myself as someone who was know sort of the um you know the the one who could lead through you know, i led through change but to lead through incredible like you know 
tumult or, or, or incredible challenges in the org of uncertainty. I found out later on that a lot of the people um, who I worked really closely with, um, you know, saw as really inspiring and really solid and helping them kind of get through that storm. Um, which is funny because inside, you know, I'm, I'm anxious. I don't know what's happening. I'm, I'm doing my best. I'm, I'm trying to keep everything together. And, and some days you feel like, you know, things are falling apart. But it was interesting to hear that it actually made a difference. I actually was able to, to guide them through um, the time that, that I was there to do that. So um, I'm proud of that because I wouldn't have expected that of myself. So, um, yeah, that's that's from my past. And, and the other thing, the second thing is I'm actually um, proud of my podcast, which is a, a relatively new thing for me. Yeah. Um, I've gotten good feedback. Um, I, part of the reason I also did it for, for me was to get better at you know, using audio equipment and, and interviewing people um, and, and just being curious and asking the right questions and how do I get this together to make it an interesting story. And um, you know, I've got about six episodes published and I've gotten good feedback in terms of uh, the sound and, and the stories and, um, you know, the, the story, um, everything that the, my guests have been sharing. Um, so I, I'm excited. It's been, it's been a lot of fun. So. Yeah, that's um, beautiful that you mentioned how you, you know, you were proud of the things that you kind of rediscovered or newly discovered about yourself. It's this, the, those things that surprised you, that made you, you know, most proud of what you've done including the the podcast it's interesting how you how you put it that you know you're proud and still surprised mm-hmm. absolutely now looking at your role in in learning and development and also your role as a podcast host what do you say to yourself to keep motivated maybe with the podcast it's easier because it's something new and it's something that you wanted to do so there goes your motivation what what do you tell yourself to keep motivated in your in your job? Because you've been doing that for a while now. Right. I mean, for me, sometimes I feel unmotivated, not because I don't feel like doing anything, but because I feel overwhelmed by the amount of things I have to do or the number of possibilities and and you know things I haven't figured out yet. So mm. sometimes that's paralyzing, and I just kind of don't move it on and don't feel motivated to move forward. So I I try to remind myself I don't have to get everything done today, thing um, because I I often feel like I do, but um, no, you have to do it today, um, and then I don't have to know the answer right now. So it's okay, um, you know. I have to, you know. I try to remind myself to trust that the answer will come to me if I continue to you know make small steps and learn about the idea and kind of sit with it and, and to watch it develop. Um, so that usually helps me move forward. Right. Thank you for sharing that because actually, yeah, you know what? I never thought about about the lack of motivation that is strictly related to how overwhelmed I feel. But now that you've mentioned it, um, yeah, I can think of some moments as well. And because we're close to the, um, the end of our conversation today, I wanted to um, ask you to share one thought of wisdom, or it can be a quote or your own thoughts or a book or a video, a movie, anything that maybe wowed you at some point and would like to share with, with people who are listening. Sure. So um, I actually found a quote that um, was mm-hmm. meaningful to me actually in, in episode that I was just talking about in terms of the, the skill of uh, being inspiring and helping to lead people through change. And it's a quote from Henry Ford. And it says, when everything seems to be going against you, remember that the airplane takes off against the wind, not with it. 
Mm-hmm. And that quote literally, I think, got me through many months of, of, of change and uncertainty in, in my job where I went to help, you know, get myself through it and, and lead others through it as well, is that, you know, the heavens are, are in some cases, normal. They, you know, you're not always going to have smooth sailing and anything really worth doing is probably going to be difficult and, and uncertain and challenging. But in some ways, you know, the quote reminds me that, that it's okay and I'll come out the other side and have grown and have learned about myself and um, have a new experience and, and I'll thrive at the end and I'll know that I could uh, that I could go through it again if I had to. Yeah, thank you for sharing this. It's um, yeah, it's a beautiful quote to keep for the um, good times and the bad times, especially mm-hmm. just to you know as a reminder that yeah, hey, it's life and it's it's live. It's not a recording. So exactly, <laughs> things happen. <laughs> okay, thank you very much, Carolyn, for for this discussion and for being part of the All Personal Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It was great to talk to you. For me as well, you know, talking to someone in, in learning in the learning industry. And um, thank you to everybody who has been listening again to the All Personal Podcast. Because for me, it certainly was a wonderful talk about my favorite topic, learning. And what I'm taking with me today is that, yes, it may take six seconds for us to create first impressions but that only means that we can choose to use the rest of the time to create long-lasting impressions because slowing down to discover each other may also hold the key to rediscovering bits of ourselves until next time goodbye and again please take it all personal